Ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hello and welcome to The Gallery Gap, a podcast that examines equity and inequity in museums, exhibitions, collections, and programming. I'm Claire. I'm Melissa. It's hard to believe the 2017 is coming to an end already. Your favorite memory from the year? Probably still the Gorilla Girls. You? Yes, definitely the Gorilla Girls. And I'd say working on the Gallery Gap in general, it's definitely been a passion project. And for you too, I know. Um, Beyond that, I do want to celebrate that the Figgy has made some amazing acquisitions this year. Months ago, I think I mentioned the purchase of a Helen Lundberg landscape. Now, proudly hanging near it, are artworks by Louise Nevelson and Grace Hardigan, both recently acquired and put on view just this month. And we just purchased two, count them, two. One, two. One, two. (laughs) Sculptures by the amazing Vanessa German. So the current weenie count in that gallery... 60% of the works are by women artists. Bam. I was going to clap, but I decided that might be too loud. (laughs) So excellent, as it should be. And as we close out our first season of The Gallery Gap, we are excited to share a very special three-part series that celebrates the institution that inspired The Gallery Gap's creation, the National Museum of Women in the Arts, or NIMWA, located in Washington, D.C. Loyal listeners will recall that the Gallery Gap began last March, National Women's History Month, after a call to action from NIMWA asking if members of the public could name, without hesitation, five women artists. Claire had just brought the Gorilla Girls to our community, so when we were invited to participate in NIMWA's hashtag five women artists campaign, we were primed and ready. Now, nearly one year later... It seems only fitting that we turn back to the National Museum of Women in the Arts, especially since they're celebrating their 30th anniversary anniversary this year. As part of that celebration, NIMWA is featuring the landmark exhibition Magnetic Fields, Expanding American Abstraction 1960s to Today, which was organized by the Kemper Museum of Contemporary Art in Kansas City, Missouri, and is now on view in D.C. until January 21, 2018. Magnetic Fields is the first exhibition to focus solely on the visual vocabularies of black women artists working in abstraction. Its curation allows space for under-recognized artist works to breathe, enter a dialogue with one another, and be considered within the larger historical context of abstract art. Magnetic Fields provides the perfect moment for us to delve into the National Museum of Women in the Arts founding and mission and its 30-year history that brings us to today. The final three episodes of our season will focus on just that. In this episode, we'll explore the museum's history and hear from NIMWA's director, Susan Fisher Sterling, as she reflects on the past 30 years and looks to the future. In the next episode, we'll dig into NIMWA's collections, exhibitions, and programs with associate curator Ginny Trainer and director of public programs Milani Douglas. This will lead us to the final episode of the series and the season, a journey into the exhibition Magnetic Fields with an interview by one of its co-curators, Melissa Messina. So to get us started, NIMWA's mission statement reads... The National Museum of Women in the Arts brings recognition to the achievements of women artists of all periods and nationalities by exhibiting, preserving, acquiring, and researching art by women and by teaching the public about their accomplishments. Really, the NIMWA is the only museum in the world that is wholly dedicated to championing women through the arts. The story of how NIMWA came to be is worth taking a moment to tell. Soon-to-be museum founders Wilhelmina Cole Holliday and her husband, Wallace F. Holliday, were traveling through Europe in the 1960s, and they found themselves taken by a 17th-century still-life Flemish painter, Clara Peters. 
In looking for information on Peters, they realized that H.W. Jansen's History of Art, the definitive art history text at the time, included nothing on Peters and, in fact, nothing about any women artists, period. Shortly after, the Holidays began collecting artworks by women artists. It's their collection that would eventually establish the museum's founding collection, and in 1981, Nimmo was incorporated as a private, non-profit museum, and it opened its doors to the public in 1987. As we mentioned, this year marks its 30th anniversary, and over the past three decades, Nimwa has grown in physical space and collection holdings and has continued to further its mission of establishing equity for women artists. One of the many things that impresses us about the NIMWA is their initiative Women, Arts, and Social Change, which features programs such as Fresh Talk. Fresh Talk provides space for discourse on what it means to champion women through the arts, through conversations with interdisciplinary thought leaders and innovators around varied and diverse topics. We'll hear more about this program and others in the next episode, but for us to move forward, we must first take a step back, back to the beginning. And we were fortunate for the opportunity to speak with Susan Fisher-Sterling, who's been the director at NIMWA since 2008. Susan's history with NIMWA goes back much further than that, though. She joined the staff in 1988 as an associate curator and was from there promoted first to curator of modern and contemporary art, then to chief curator and eventually deputy director before becoming executive director. Susan was kind enough to share her thoughts on a range of topics, starting with the museum's founding. We all at the museum believe that our founder, uh, Wilhelmina Cole Holiday, and her husband, Wally, it really is their genius and their purpose that we carry with us today. Um, Mrs. Holiday, I believe, uh, knew the power of art, and she knew the importance of women in art and uh, in the world. She really did see things differently. And that, in some ways, turned the art world on its ear because she knew that reinserting women into the history of art and championing contemporary women artists was going to be against the grain and go against the grain. But she felt that that was really important. And I believe that uh, uh, Wally, uh, her husband, who really suggested to her at one point early in their, uh, when they were talking about collecting women artists, that maybe the reason why... Um, you didn't see a lot of women artists is, what was it? I think she, he said when she asked him once about Clara Peters and why she wasn't better known, I think he said something like, well, maybe it was because she was a woman. And so I think in, as a couple collecting, when they came to collect women artists, they really understood that there was a gap or a lack or a loss. And so I think that, that together... And she, always she in the forefront, uh, she wanted to bring women artists into the mainstream. And then by creating the museum, she signaled what we consider a major cultural shift in our thinking. Uh, she set out to create a physical space uh, where women artists could fully participate in and shape the cultural conversation. And so in a very real way, that was her social cause. Uh, I always think of Mrs. Holliday uh, as exercising what in diplomatic circles would be called soft power. Um, and so we continue to speak to the soft power uh, that art possesses to foster change and offer up new possibilities. So it's a, it was a new way of seeing the world of art that initially got a lot of, um, you, we heard a lot of comments <laughs> <laughs> the museum was none too popular early on, but it, obviously its day has come. 
We were intrigued by Susan's statement about the initial negative response to NIMWA's founding and if any of it came from women. There's a great set of footage from Mrs. Holiday from a video we have where she talks about how at the beginning the feminists saw it as a white gloves establishment and wanted no part of it and the uh, old dowagers thought of it as some kind of feminist institution and wanted no part of it. So as I often say, we took the centrist line and that served us well. And over time, I think women artists have gained more respect. The issue that she and Wally Holiday, uh, she and Wallace brought forward, um, really became a central issue in the art world. And now, especially, I think women are in. <laughs> the art world has a real focus on women right now. And, you know, it, the good news is that it's, it took 30 years. Um, obviously, there were art historians who were looking into the history of women artists. I mean, I think it's, isn't it almost 40 years since Linda Nochlin's generative article, Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists? So I think the scholarship started earlier, uh, but there wasn't an institution that was championing that point of view, that women artists were important, both historically and obviously in contemporary art. And so... Thank goodness, even 30 years later, uh, we continue to build and evolve and advocate for a day when that sort of uh, gender parity or uh, equality will be achieved in the art world. And you know, one hopes that it's also going to be achieved elsewhere. Given the strength of programming at NIMWA, we were anxious to know more about their impact as Susan views it. And again, we'll delve deeper into this in the next episode. We've done a lot of not only thinking, but actually looking at what is often called our value proposition. You know, what is it that our audiences want? What would people like to see us do? What would our closest allies who are mostly women, what would they want from a museum of women in the arts? And we realized that we really promise both um, art and the cause of furthering uh, women's rights. And so that's always been at the core of the museum. Uh, In the early phases, it was really about reinserting women into the history of art. And that was Mrs. Holliday's great vision and uh, uh, big goal. And we continue to do that. I mean, as we show more contemporary artists uh, that helps to put them into the history books, if you will. Um, but also there's that sense that the art world is not a standalone, that it is part of the entire social landscape. And as one of my board members says, if you leave women out of art, what does that say uh, in, within the larger social uh, landscape? And so the Women, Arts, and Social Change Programming, uh, or the Fresh Talk series, uh, the signature programs, there are different partnerships with other arts organizations, really helps to continue to foreground uh, great women and uh, attach them to and make them also help them be important within and be recognized for their creativity in other disciplines as well. That sort of pairing is important. AMD, we still seem, museums still seem to carry the public's trust. 
And so um, we want to be able to do that and also really champion women in and through the arts. And we want to do that in ways that uh, are innovative enough to engage audiences we already have, but also new and younger audiences. So uh, this is, we're doing all kinds of things, our conversations with artists. Um, uh, Magnetic Field is a good example, our exhibition program. We really try to look at what we do holistically. And I hope that we're still seen as the site of discussion where different points of view can be discussed and uh, there's less I don't want to call it less tension, but that there's more attention paid um, in in a civil way. I think we're the holders of civil society, and I just I feel that there are not that many places that do that now. We asked Susan to share any key moments in the museum's history that have really stood out to her as moments of excellence and growth. You know, as I went from curator to director. Um, over the last set of years. I think that there are are different moments in each sector, if you will, of the museum's life. I certainly think that the early gift of the Frida Kahlo um, from Claire Booth Luce was uh, a really important moment early on in the museum's history when Mrs. Luce gave uh, uh, that work to Mrs. Holliday. And then Heading forward to 30 years, Mrs. Holliday gave us a Louise Bourgeois spider, which potentially has the opportunity to become just as iconic as the Kahlo is for us, because the Kahlo is the only one in a public collection here in Washington. So that was an incredible gift. And all throughout our history, we've received some wonderful gifts. But the Kahlo at the beginning, the um, bourgeois, specifically because it was from, it is from Mrs. Holliday, was really great. Um, We have things like, in my own curatorial career, um, I actually had the opportunity to work with Carrie Mae Weems on her first museum survey exhibition in 1993. And that, to me, was a very important moment. It was her first show that ever traveled. It traveled, I think, to seven venues. And I look at her now when she came to speak at the at one of the Fresh Talks. She was our keynote speaker the first year. Um, it was great to have her back at the museum and talking about her work and the social responsibility of the artist. Um, but then there are also things like in 2003, we had our first major collaboration with a museum much larger than us, and that was uh, our, the, our show called An Imperial Collection, uh, Women Artists from the State Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. And that really I attribute to Mrs. Holliday, to see that international um, dimension and to try and work with institutions uh, to mine their collection for their women artists and then show that here uh, was really an amazing moment. Other things that I could mention, from a financial point of view, we had a major endowment campaign, actually a two-phase campaign. And uh, thanks to, I think, 770 donors and the efforts of a lot of uh, our board, including uh, Carol and Klimas Lascaris, we ended up with a $50 million endowment in 2012. And I think the first time we celebrated it was in 2007. It was $25 million. And then over 
time we were able to continue to build it, even with the recession, we did a second uh, campaign. And then just this year, one of our most loyal donors from before the museum even was begun, her name, when it was just a twinkle, I like to say, in Mrs. Holiday's eye, um, uh, Madeline Rast passed away, and her planned giving legacy was $9 million which is the largest gift the museum ever received. So um, that has significance not just because of the numbers, but because someone believed so much in the museum from the very start. And then also just when you look at that, there is stability in having an endowment like that. Um, and then just one other thing, in the, which I was thinking about on the social media side, our hashtag Five Women Artists campaign is really, along with our Women Arts and Social Change initiative, that uh, social media campaign is really, really important. It won a Muse Award this year at AAM, and um, I think there were many organizations, there were organizations that were a lot larger than us that um, we bested because the idea, can you name five women artists, just is a galvanizing question. And it was a question our founder asked at the very beginning that we are able to now use to reach out to an entire new audience of people. Um, and the response from museums, galleries, schools, universities, um, I think it was over 500 different organizations participated, and we had groups on seven continents, including, I mean, literally including Antarctica. There's an Antarctica Art Center, and they participated. But, but that kind of reach with just a simple question, and then obviously any programming that people chose to do around it, um, was, is, is a very powerful use of social media. And for, some, for an institution like ours that has, a, has both an, is obviously based fully in art, but also has this cause relationship, um, that social media is a powerful thing. One question that came up during the interview was about what Nimwa hopes to accomplish with Magnetic Field, or, in other words, why this exhibition and why now? This exhibition is really part of this idea that we do want to be not just a thought leader, but pushing the envelope in terms of making sure that we have the opportunity to offer up exhibitions that we think are obviously uh, qualitatively excellent, but also allow new voices to be heard, new art to become part of uh, a much wider public dispersion, if you will. Um, and we really want these artists to be well-known. So the take on the exhibition was interesting to us in that it showed that here were women artists who were n not really given their due and that an exhibition of their works was way overdue. And that really formed the basis for why we decided to uh, uh, partner uh, with the Kemper on the show. How it fits into the larger uh, context is that we really do see ourselves as wanting to uh, be more inclusive, and uh, diversity is one of the things that we are working 
toward to become a more inclusive, more diverse environment, not just from the exhibition point of view, but from collections uh, when it comes to our uh, future with our board and staff. We see that we can take a leadership role um, just by doing it. And so that's the importance. And a 30th anniversary, I mean, when you turn 30, you're an adult. I oftentimes say you can drink and smoke and do all the bad things, but then there are also many, many good things you can do. And this is this is one of the good things. In some ways, for us, it's it's patently obvious. As the interview came to a close, we asked Susan for any final thoughts she'd like to share. I think the most important thing to that I would want to say is that we are doing incredible things, but we really stand on on the shoulders of Mrs. Holiday, the generations that she has engaged. And I feel that 30 years is just an amazing accomplishment uh, for us because there were some lean years, and everybody would admit to that. Um, the fact is that when you have a mission like ours that continues to speak to people, um, and you have so many dedicated uh, board and staff members that believe in it, I think we're able more and more to show great art by women artists each and every day. And that I think that that gets the message out so well uh, for the notion that uh, if you look at these great women artists, uh, to play along with Nochlin's phrase, if you look at these uh, great women artists, then on the larger, in the larger social stage of the world, you realize that women can do anything. And that's the message. And with that, we take pause and prepare to transition to our next episode to a deeper discussion about collections and programs at the National Museum of Women in the Arts with Associate Curator Ginny Trainer and Director of Public Programs Milani Douglas. We would like to thank Susan Fisher-Sterling for making the time to speak with us and also to thank Marjorie Newman, Amy Manorino, and the entire communications and marketing team at NIMWA for their assistance in this episode's creation. As a reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, and you can listen to the episodes on WBIK's website. There's an email on the website in case you'd like to contact us. Also, don't forget that we include additional information and materials on our Facebook page that relate to the episodes. So if you're interested in digging deeper, be sure to follow us. And as always, thank you to the Augustana Teaching Museum of Art, the Figgy Art Museum, and WVIK for your continued support of this project. Remember that this project only exists because of listener support, so be sure to go to wvik.org and click the Donate button. A special thanks to our producer, Lacey Scarmana, our resident rock star, and this podcast would still be a mere idea if it wasn't for the generous support of Paterson Pate's design. Thank you so much for making this program possible. Last but not least, thank you to all our listeners. Until next time. Music